Hello coders, welcome to the Scrimba podcast. On this weekly show, I speak with successful developers about their advice on learning to code and getting your first junior developer job. Today, I'm joined by Tom Hurst, who is a freelance developer with equally excellent marketing skills. In my opinion, Tom only happens to be a freelance WordPress developer. In other words, many years ago, Tom decided to specialize in a particular technology because he realized that when you specialize, you attract more customers. I might liken it to going to a restaurant where the menu is six pages long. When you see that, you have no confidence they do any of those food items well, whereas if they have one focused menu, you're like, yeah, they only do this. They practice it every day and they can reasonably get fresh produce. Mm, yummy. If you want to become a freelancer, clients have a similar mentality I learned from Tom, perhaps with less emphasis on fresh produce. So Tom decided to focus and has been really successful since. If you want to become an employee and your goal is to become a junior developer, there is still a lot you can learn from Tom about positioning yourself, putting yourself out there, building a personal website that works for you. And honestly, I didn't ask specifically, but if Tom can get something like six clients a year, I'm sure his advice can help you in your journey to get one employment contract. By the way, it's crazy listening to Tom because he sounds so confident and outgoing. And yet when I asked him, are you an outgoing person, man? You, you must be, right? He was like, no, I'm an introvert. It all just goes to show you can fake it until you make it. And with that said, let's get into it. Tom, welcome to the Scrimba podcast. It's so great to have you. Thanks for having me, Alex. I'm excited for our chat. Your website, I think, is about as good as it gets without going crazy with like CSS and SVG animations and things. <laughs> it's clean, it's fast, you highlight your skills, your work, your experiences. Um, you've appeared on things like podcasts and you highlight your personality by featuring your Instagram and stuff. And then you also give customers like really clear ways to take action and contact you. It's obvious like this website must have taken a while to build. Why was it so important to you to get your website right? I think that having a personal website in 2021 for anyone that wants to like make it in any walk of life really is just essential. And I think that I luckily figured this out pretty early on in my career. So I've always been obsessed with crafting my own personal website, you know, the design, the development, the the marketing, the copy, everything. And I think it's important to me because I just like to present myself in the best light. I want the most people to be able to find me, you know, through the, the least effort, really. You can reach so many people by being online and posting content regularly, having clear offers and things like that compared to, you know, handing flyers out in your local area. Are you someone who's like always been tweaking and iterating on your portfolio? Like it's almost never done. Or did you sit down one day and said, okay, I've been doing this for a while. I'm going to apply everything I've learned and just nail it this time. I think at the very beginning, like 12 years ago, I was exactly like that. I was just always tinkering. It was never perfect. I was never happy. But I think nowadays I'm more of like a, a big version kind of person, you know, where I'll sprint on something. So the current iteration of my site is probably like, you know, the fifth major version, but that's been up for, man, it must be like two or three years now. And I don't really have to do that, you know, many major changes to it now. Um, I just like add new pages using the templates and the, you know, the modular system that I've set up for myself. So yeah, I think at the beginning, definitely I was in that camp 
where I would just, you know, stress about perfecting everything, um, fonts, spacing and things like that. But then as I've got a little bit older and deeper into my career, I've realized that that stuff doesn't really matter so much. It's more about, you know, the messaging and making sure that, you know, you get the content out there and your perspective across to people who might be interested in working with you. I was keen to start the podcast this way because I want everybody listening to check out your website. I think it's a really inspiring example. It's almost like the finish line for a lot of people at the beginning aspire to. So I'll link that high up in the show notes. But to your point, I think it's interesting because I speak with lots of new developers, aspiring junior developers, aspiring freelancers, and they, they do sometimes subscribe to your school of thought, which is that you should have a website, but it can sometimes spin into something that becomes distracting. Like you spend so much time iterating and tweaking on the website, when if your objective is to become a freelancer, there might be other things you could prioritize. So if new freelancers tend to prioritize creating a personal website, do you agree with that prioritization? Are there any kind of principles they should think about when getting this out the door to achieve success more quickly? I'm 100% behind starting with a personal website. It's worked so well for me. I can't alter from that train of thought. But one thing that I would say is to not overcomplicate it. Think about what the, you know, the minimum viable version of your personal website can be and get it up as soon as possible. Start getting some authority on that domain, you know. You could even just start with a homepage and then a blog and then just create a really quick blog post about the technology that you used to create your personal website. And there you've got some content. You could probably get that up within a couple of days. So yeah, start small is my advice. And don't think that you need to have everything perfect like what I did in the beginning, you know. Don't think that you need to have 20 blog posts before you can launch. Don't think that you need to offer 20 services. Don't think that you need 30 landing pages. Just think, you know, really all I need is a nice picture of myself, a sentence about what I do, and then maybe one blog post, and then you've got the ball rolling. And then from that momentum, you can build out from there. Yeah, perfection is the enemy of progress, as they say. Exactly. You mentioned authority. I, I, are you talking about domain authority within SEO? Can you talk about that a little bit for anybody who, who doesn't know what it means? I'm not an expert SEO, but I've learned a lot over, you know, like building my personal website out and websites for clients over the years. And one of the things that you need in SEO is links. So what I mean by trying to build like domain authority is just getting getting some link juice as soon as you can, really. So get your website up, get it submitted to Google, get Google crawling it, make sure that everything's fine, make sure that you're not blocking Google in any way or any other search robots. And then, like I said before, you know, just, just throw up a really simple blog post and send it to people, you know, try and do a bit of... Um, do a bit of hustling really for exposure, you know, just say, look, I've, I've written this blog post. I've built it in WordPress. You know, you could reach out to some people in the WordPress community. Do you want to take a look at my thing? And you might end up getting a few links from that, you know, because that might be valuable to their audience too. The more links that you get, the, the more authority that your website will have. And that will stand you in good stead over the long term. And another good tactic for this really is like podcast appearances like this one today. I'm sure you'll give me a link for, for doing this interview. Um, so that's something else that people can, you know, tap into. So yeah, that's the, one of the main things I've learned about SEO from all my friends in the space is that it links matter. These backlinks and internal links, they are enabling Google to rank you more highly when people search for things like WordPress freelancer. And then you also have like dedicated landing pages. The title is literally WordPress consultants. And then you've got freelance Next.js developer, which is like, that has to be a high value keyword, right? But because of those backlinks, you can rank more highly. Have you found success that way? Like, oh, and I should just mention as well that 
I, I totally agree with your advice to start thinking about this early because it takes a long time. Like if you want to influence Google, it doesn't happen in a matter of weeks or frankly months. It's typically like quarters, if not years, honestly, depending on your activities. Um, but yeah, you've been doing it for a while. How has, how has success looked like for you? Yeah, SEO is definitely a, a marathon, not a sprint. And that, that's why I always advise that people, if you're wanting to make a living online, get your website up early and just start getting, you know, that authority that I mentioned before. But yeah, to answer your question, I mean, that, that's been a big part of my um, tactics, really. Obviously, my expertise starts and ends really with WordPress. I do a lot of WordPress stuff. I've branched out a little bit more, you know, into the headless side of things like Next.js and things like that that you mentioned uh, as well. But yeah, one of the main tactics for me right at the beginning was to focus in just on a specific type of client and just create a landing page that was super specific to them. What I mean by that is using tools like Ahrefs to see what people in this space are actually searching for. And like the main keyword really in my field for a freelance WordPress developer was freelance WordPress developer. And I just made my landing page completely tailored to that. You know, so the the, the, the H1 tag, freelance WordPress developer, the, the caption under my picture, freelance WordPress developer, you know, plenty of text mentioning that keyword, but not just, you know, stuffing the keyword for um, for stuff in the keyword sake, actually for, um, you know, telling the story about my experience, who I've worked with and things like that, and just getting it in where it feels natural. And yeah, the, um, the single service landing page tactic, as I, as I call it, has worked really well for me. But when you say single service, you mean focused around a particular technology, right? Like WordPress or, or Next.js? Yeah, it, it could be a technology. It could be a specific uh, industry, you know, like hairdressers or um, dentists or whatever. It could be a locale even. Let's say that you want to be the web designer in your local town. It could be web design Barnsley, where I'm from. You know, you could you could try and optimize for that keyword. Um, what I'm trying to say by single service landing pages, make it evidently clear that this is the service that you are an expert in and these are the people that you want to sell that service to. If you are enjoying this episode of the Scrimba podcast, please do us at Scrimba a favor and recommend this episode or the whole show to your friends. Word of mouth is the single best way to support a podcast that you like, so thanks in advance. Next week, I'm joined by a Scrimba student named Dan from Australia who is following the front-end developer career path. This is our career path for developers looking to go from not knowing any code to becoming a hireable web developer. And towards the tail end of that course, he managed to transition successfully from an air conditioning tech to now becoming a front-end developer. It was a strange feeling. A strange feeling going, I can leave my job. I can leave the job that I hate. Like, I it's, yeah, to put it simply, I hated my job. And now I'm moving into something that I've been spending the last seven months dreaming of. And I've made it. That's next Tuesday on the Scrimba podcast. We release episodes every week like clockwork. So make sure you subscribe to see it in your feed and support the show. Back to Tom Hurst. I think we've thrown a bunch of things out there, like we're talking about portfolios and keywords and things like that. But, but I strongly believe it's all related because now what we're talking about is like specialization and finding a niche, which is something I think you're not only good at identifying, but you're disciplined in executing. Because whenever we talk about narrowing down, I think it naturally leads to an anxiety like, oh, well, if I'm focusing so heavily on hairdressers, what if I miss out on an opportunity to build a website for a football club or something like that, right? It kind of naturally leads to this, this 
FOMO. And when you're new, you're often dabbling with a lot of different technologies as well. So if you commit to WordPress, you're like, oh, what if a new amazing technology comes about? I feel as though I've already boxed myself in. How do you think about specialization? I think specialization at the beginning of your career is one of the smartest things that you can do. And if you can stick to something and the same message for a long time, you're just constantly building equity in that for your personal brand. So for instance, over the last 12 years, you know, when people think of a freelance WordPress development, a lot of the time they're going to think of me. But I mean, as my career has progressed, I also think that you can be a specialist in your marketing and more of a generalist, really. And and what I mean by that is, Obviously, at the beginning of my career, I was just constantly learning how to code. I was learning more about how to program in PHP and JavaScript, and that was my focus. But then um, the older that I've got, you know, I've started doing educational products. I've started learning about marketing. I've got a, a little interest in crypto and things like that. But on my website where I want to attract freelance WordPress clients, I'm a freelance WordPress developer. So I think that the formal kind of thing can be eased by that. You know, you can still be a specialist in your marketing, in your front-facing marketing that people come to you for, and you can still pursue other interests. You don't have to just sit and code in WordPress PHP for the rest of your life. It's a marketing tactic, not really a lifestyle. And I think that that's where you can cure a lot of that FOMO that comes into niching down. You're spot on. And it applies to things like LinkedIn and resumes and cover letters and things as well. Like I think sometimes when people write a cover letter, they want to explain their life story and say, you know, these are my other interests and they want to go as wide as possible. But all you're really meant to do is like tailor that cover letter to the specific job. And if you're looking for freelance work, it's the same principle, right? Like it doesn't define you just because you don't write about all your interests on a particular page or on a CV doesn't mean you don't or, or not allowed to have them. And equally, if you need to pivot, that's, that's also okay. Like you can change later, although you might get the best results when you show up consistently for a long time. Do you agree it takes discipline to to employ that kind of strategy? Yeah, it's tough because shiny object syndrome is like a real thing. Um, and I think that everybody goes through it. You know, everyone's got other interests than their niche. You know, a plumber's not just a plumber. It's kind of like what we touched on before. You know, it does take an incredible amount of discipline to stick to your guns with your marketing tactics and the niche that you um choose and the people that you, you know, the ideal client that you target. But I will guarantee if you stick to it for like a year, two years, you will see results. Like I owe the majority of my freelance success to, you know, niching down to just taking on WordPress um, jobs. And even then there's always niches within niches as well. Over the last 12 years, WordPress has just grown exponentially. Just becoming a freelance WordPress developer now might not even be narrow enough, you know, for someone just starting out. You might have to go even narrower than that. So for instance, to give you an example, you know, there's like page builders like Divi and things like that that are really popular. They've got their own ecosystem. You could even go even further down the rabbit hole and attach yourself to that kind of thing in your marketing. So yeah, I think niching down is just, it's just an incredibly smart marketing strategy and something that you shouldn't be afraid of because you can't be everything to everyone. And like, yeah, finding an existing platform like Shopify and building on top of it is a great way to um, specialize as well. And even within that, you could be the specialist for clothing retailers. And then you can add, you know, you've built sizing features and grids and things before. And this kind of knowledge and experience will just stand out to customers within that niche. Um, we can't say it because we're British, but the Americans like to say um, riches and niches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't get the rhyme. <laughs> Let's go back to the beginning slightly, because I, I remember reading on your portfolio that you started freelancing a, a while ago, right? Like you've been doing this for about a decade, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, since uh, 2009. How did you find clients when you got started? And, and by the way, do you think those same acquisition channels would work today? 
I left university and I kind of just realized that I wasn't really fit to be an employee and I always wanted to do my own things. You know, I liked, had lots of ideas. I liked building and things like that, but obviously you need clients, right? And I was like thinking, well, where am I where am I going to get these clients from? You know, I don't want a job, but I'm just going to need clients. So the first thing that I did was just tell everyone I knew about the skills that I had. For me, that was WordPress. I was getting really good at WordPress. I'd done a few sites um, at university as part of one of the modules. I'd done a site for my uncle's band. My dad was an accountant and I was talking to him about doing a website for them. You know, the people that would give me a start, essentially. Um, and I said to my dad, I said, look, you know, you're in business. If anybody mentions, you know, websites and in particular WordPress, then you've, you know, put us, put us right in touch. And I just planted that seed with everyone that I already knew. And I think that a lot of people, when they start out, they fail to understand how many people that they already know who might be able to use their services, you know, whether that's web development, whether that's graphic design, whether that's copywriting, whatever it is, you know, we're in a digital age and these skills are just useful to pretty much everyone who's out there. So yeah, that's, that's how I got the start. And, and whether that's still relevant now, hundred percent. Yes. Once you've exhausted your family, you know, you could start in your local town, you're just knocking on doors. There's businesses everywhere that'll need services of freelancers. But yeah, how things might have changed from 2009 to 2021, I would say that LinkedIn and Twitter and things like that are more powerful and more like realistic avenues now than what they were when I started. Obviously, I've built a decent sized audience on Twitter um, for a slightly different reason, but I, I think that this would also work for freelancers as well. I think there's a lot of people who are doing good things, you know, sharing what they know, people who are just starting out, you know, doing the 100 days of code hashtag and things like that. And I think you can make some really great connections from tapping into that. Um, and this could lead to, you know, sharing work between yourselves. You know, maybe you get busy one time and you want to share with someone that you've met on Twitter and vice versa. So, yeah, networking essentially is is everything. And I think that the main transition from when I started to now is that it's more online than perhaps it was um, when I first started, when it was a bit more, you know, physical and who you knew within your local proximity. Is it fair to say that you're quite an outgoing person, Tom? No, I'm like the world's most... I, I can hide being an introvert so well, people have told me. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm really not outgoing whatsoever. I'm incredibly introverted. Well, that's, that's, that's actually impressive then because <laughs> I speak to a lot of like new freelancers who honestly, it's a bit like dating in the modern day and stuff as well. Like it's a lot harder to go up to a person and start speaking to them on the street than it is to use an app. And I think even though that's a bit of a silly comparison, it's also true that the barrier to going on something like Upwork or Fiverr it is a lot less. You put yourself out there far less, it's less daunting, but equally you're not going to create those same connections as you described, which I agree are absolutely vital. But what would you say to new freelancers? Should they consider websites like Upwork and Fiverr? Are there anything they should be aware of? In my honest experience, I've never had a job from either of those. And when I started, I was on them both. I think this is my philosophy that it's a far better long-term strategy to start building equity in yourself right away, rather than just jumping on these platforms and expecting projects to fall into your lap. Like I'm, I'm not saying that Upwork and Fiverr wouldn't give you a start. It, it certainly would in some instances, but alongside that, I would do, you know, what we talked about at the top of the conversation, you know, start building your own personal brand, start building equity in yourself, start making connections, get your personal website up, be active on Twitter, um, sort your LinkedIn profile out. I think all those things in the long term, you'll, you'll come back five years later and thank yourself for massively. So yeah, I wouldn't focus 
too much on just, you know, what job board I can be on. I'll be thinking about more, how can I get people to start coming to me? I have to say, I can agree more. I will play the devil's advocate when I say that a lot of people, they want freelance work today or tomorrow or in a few weeks. And that investment has a, takes a while to pay off. And I, I think that's where the allure of these talent websites come in because you don't need a network or a reputation. Really, you can skip the need for a personal website because similar to how you can use a CMS to, to create content more easily. They provide the interface and things like that. Um, but on the flip side, it can feel like a race to the bottom sometimes when you're working in a sort of country with a lot of money because you're being outbid by people working in countries with a much lower cost of living. I think it's quite a common dilemma people have. There's definite value. If you need money right away, then these platforms are probably going to be your quickest route to it if you're literally starting on day one. Like I'm not, I'm not completely against these platforms, but what I would also suggest is that you start building that brand equity alongside that as well. Carve out some time for your own business, for your own business development, because you can't grow. If you're all, if you're only working on the business of other people, you'll never grow your own business. You know, while I think that these things can definitely get you a start and there is value there, start building equity in yourself as well. What would you do as a new developer, Tom, to increase a client's confidence that you can do the job? even though you might not have the most reviews and past work to demonstrate. Like, how do you overcome that? I think for developers, we've got one thing that's like really in our favor and that's open source and side projects and things like that. So there's a lot of self-initiated things that you can do that build trust. And like, obviously the, the, the classic trust signals are, you know, testimonials and client list and portfolio of like real client work. But I appreciate sometimes, you know, you, you've not got that right at the beginning. I would definitely suggest contributing to open source. You can get a lot of attention by doing that. You can gain a lot of credibility, a lot of authority in your field. And just show that you're an active builder. Show that you're a doer, not just a talker. People hire the plumber that stood next to his van with a pipe in his hand. They don't hire the plumber that's just on, you know, LinkedIn, just talking, you know, nonsense. They want to see that you can actually do the job. So sure, don't tell. Right. Yeah. I've, I've, I was thinking I've never encountered an, an influencer that's a plumber, but now I think about it. <laughs> there was, there was a bloke who won the apprentice, like a UK apprentice one year. And he was, he's a plumber. <laughs> yeah. That's a good example. Yeah. I was just thinking of him. That's exactly what I was thinking of. Um, okay. So I think what you just described is the, is the hard skills, like, show that you demonstrate that you've got the, the skills to do the job. I can build this page. I can make it responsive. I can connect it to a database. I'm competent in that regard. But frankly, as a, as a client, that's the bare minimum to even earn a phone call or to, to interact with the client. It's really about lowering risk. Like who is going to get the job done? Who is not going to waste time? Who is not going to leave me high and dry? And sometimes, honestly, it's worth it to clients to pay a bit more because the cost of getting it wrong is a lot higher than the cost of getting it Right. I actually don't know like how I would overcome that if I were a new freelancer. Is the is the answer simply that you just have to work really cheap for a while until you until you build those trust factors as you describe, like the testimonials and things like that? I think when you begin in any field, you're not gonna earn the same as what someone who's been doing it for ten years will. That's just a fact of life. But I think what I would suggest in in this regard in terms of building trust is soft skills can take you a long way. You know, if you do what you say you're gonna do when you when you say you're gonna do it you're ahead of a lot of people. And I think that a lot of people starting out fail to realize that and they don't start because they're a bit scared that they're not going to be able to stand out. But honestly, if you can reply to emails within, I don't know, a couple of hours, you know, you're ahead of a lot of people because number one, you've got, you know, the people who are already rolling. It's going to take them ages. They're probably booked up anyway. And then you've got the people who are just kind of like playing at it and, and they just, you know, they don't, they don't, they're not really doing it properly. If you take things seriously 
and you get, you know, really to the point, email replies out to clients, you know, you show that you're organized, you show, show that you're going to turn up on time. You know, when you arrange a meeting, you're there on time, you know, you're not two minutes late, three minutes late, all these things. You can do a lot to build trust without having necessarily direct experience. I like that a lot. The, the things you're describing, they seem quite small, but they can have a very big impact. And, and as you speak, my brain's spinning a little bit because I've posted on Upwork and depending on the job, you get a huge influx of job applications, which if you're listening, that could be you know, deterring. It's like, oh, I'm one of a hundred or something, but most of them suck. Like most of the applications are so lazy, man. They're like, Hey, can I learn more about the project? I'm like, I'm not going to spend, you know, 20 minutes explaining the project to you. There's a brief, go and, go and read it. Or if there's um, someone saying like, you know, it's a copy and paste template and it's really obvious. It's like, pretty much a no-go out of the door, even if they have the skills, right? Because I can see from their reputation, they have the skills. But I, I personally want people to show they care about the project and that they are, you know, they care enough to show up on time and to, to be prompt in their response and things like that. And especially at the beginning, and especially if they don't already have a reputation, and especially if they're the people coming to me. And it's not about um, me having a firm philosophy on it. It's just kind of the nature of websites like Upwork. You are in a position where a lot of people are applying for the job and you're really going to go with the people who stand out because they look interested, they communicate clearly, and they're excited to get in a call and learn about the project. Because not every time, but a lot of projects that we hire freelancers to work on are exciting projects. We want to share that with somebody and, and let that enthusiasm propel the project through. That just goes back to one of the earlier points that we, we were talking about. You know, you mentioned that these people are applying, you know, for your ad. They're coming to you, not the other way around. And that's a big factor of what I was saying before about building brand and building equity in yourself and, you know, going down the field of becoming an expert in a certain topic or area or vertical or horizontal, whatever it is. When people come to you for work, it's so much easier to convert the sale number one, but also the projects and the relationships kind of go easier in my uh, experience. And that was always my tactic, you know, get people to come to me and then, you know, my life will be easier. <laughs> I want to come back to some of the actual like tactics and linear advice. I think this has been a fantastic episode so far. Probably when you're freelancing, something will go wrong at some point. Maybe it's like a rite of passage for freelancers that at least one project will go bad. You won't get paid. You'll overpromise and underdeliver despite your best intentions. You just got the estimate wrong. These days, Tom, you're an absolute pro, but do you have any bad experiences from the early days that stand out? And what would you do differently with the benefit of hindsight? The one that really stands out, I mean, I, I, I'm pretty good at reading people. So I, I've been lucky to avoid a lot of bad relationships. I always try and take people on face value, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt. But sometimes there will be things that happen in the early conversations that you think, yeah, this is not going to work. But I guess one of the regrets that I do have from, you know, the early days in my freelancing career is when I first started with my first client, I kind of got a little bit locked in because I didn't really, I basically sold all my time to them and I never saved any time for myself and my own development and reaching out to other people and things like that, which made it very difficult for me to raise my price and maybe say no to, you know, to some of the projects that they were giving me that I didn't really find interesting. Um, I didn't have much choice because I kind of got locked in. So with the benefit of hindsight, what I would have done is all the things that we've kind of talked about already way earlier. And that's why I bang on about it all the time, you know, with a personal website and things like that, because 
in that situation, once I started getting other leads through the door, it kind of shifted the power really from from them to me, where I could say, look, I've got this other client that will offer me, you know, more money. You know, I, I love working with you. It's really, I'm really appreciative of this start, but, you know, obviously, um, would you be able to match this price? And it gives you that power. Um, so yeah, with, with hindsight, I would market myself more often and I'd do it more frequently and earlier. I just want to use this opportunity to put this out there before we continue with the rest of the interview, um, which is that you have written a book or one or two, I think, about freelancing. You've written a lot of articles and you have some Twitter threads. I'm not going to try and dive into every inch of how to get started as a freelancer because I feel like your book probably covers a lot of those things. Can you just describe it for us and let people know what they can learn? Yeah, sure. So I've got, I've got a few products now. But the one that you're probably talking about is the first one that I released last year, which is called 10 Steps to Becoming a Better Freelancer. And it's essentially my, you know, manifesto of how I got from where I was at the beginning to where I am now. I kind of talk about all aspects of, you know, freelance life. Um, so all the things that you need to take into consideration on the business side, but also to, you know, live a healthy life alongside, you know, being a freelancer. The freelance game offers so many opportunities for you to live such a fulfilling life alongside making a decent amount of money. So, you know, tap into that and don't become a workaholic for being a workaholic's sake, you know, use, use that flexibility to your advantage, you know, take care of yourself, spend time with your family and things like that. So yeah, it's a real top to bottom manifesto really. And it's free. So if anybody wants to grab it and um, they can. That's free. Yeah. That's the free ebook that I did. Yeah. I was going to ask you for like a Scrimber promo code or something, but it turns out, <laughs> <laughs> turns out everybody's going for free. That's wicked. I'm glad you did it. Cause when you read the chapter list, it sounds like a little treasure hunt. Like there's a lot to be found in there, I think. So definitely link to that and leave your website in the show notes. And, and as we kind of close up here, I have a couple of questions then about the chapters, which are understanding pricing deeply and becoming a negotiator. It's clearly an area that you have a lot of expertise in, so I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about it. I listened to your interview with Chris Dew, I think that's his name, and you mentioned about pricing yourself relative to the competition. I think that when you're a new freelancer, you lack confidence, you don't really know where you sit relative to the competition probably you don't even have enough experience to like truly comprehend the scope of a project and that can be dangerous maybe it requires some research and planning aka discovery that's the kind of thing that new freelancers feel very awkward charging for how would you recommend someone price themselves when they're new to the freelance developer market good question i think the first thing that you really want to do is make friends who are in the same position as you are and discuss price Start becoming comfortable about talking about money because then, you know, that confidence that you say that a lot of people lack will start to come and then experiment like crazy. Find what your market worth is at that moment in time, but also consider value at all times. So what I mean by that is, let's say that um, a client comes to you and they say, we need this by next week. That's pretty quick, right? And if you can facilitate that, then that's valuable to that client. So would you charge the same as what you would you know, for someone who needs it doing in two months, probably not. You need to, you need to be savvy really to, you know, what the project requires and what the client will find valuable in, in the scenario. So that's what I mean by taking everything on a project by project basis, as opposed to just saying, you know, I charge two grand for every single website under the sun. You need to consider a lot more variables than that. So you're, you're kind of describing like a rush fee there where if they need it quickly, you can charge them a bit more for it. If, that, if that's what you want to call it, but there's other ways to gauge value as well. So let's think about if you are the go-to person within your, you know, in your expertise area, 
then you're going to be able to charge more than if you are, you know, doing 10 different things, you know, and it goes back to the niche point again. You seem to be quite against pricing per hour. And yeah, I see your reasons entirely. When you're a new freelancer, is it worth pricing per hour? Like, is there a trade-off there or is it just a no-go in your opinion? My main mantra is that you should consider value no matter what, you know, methodology that you're using, whether you're doing it by the hour, by the day, fixed price, whatever. But yeah, in terms of in the beginning, when you're starting out, I don't think it's the end of the world if you need to charge hourly to get a job through the door, because the credibility that you will get from those projects and that experience will lead you then into, you know, other pricing methodologies, which will be more profitable. So I'm not completely against hourly billing, but what I would say is try and move away from it as quick as you can. Tom, thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Alex. That was Tom Hurst, whose links you can find in the episode's show notes, along with timestamps and links from the show. Also, if you go to the Scrimber blog, we include a complete transcript in case you want to take notes or look something up later. Coming up next time on the Scrimber podcast, Dan, a Scrimber user from Australia, joins me to talk about how he recently managed to transition from a job he quote unquote hated to now working as a junior developer. That's next Tuesday on the weekly Scrimber podcast, so make sure you subscribe subscribe in your podcast app of choice so you see it in your feed and support the show. This episode was edited by Jan Osenovic and I'm your host Alex Booker. You can follow me on Twitter at Booker Codes where I share highlights from the podcast and other news by Scrimber. See you next week.